Our text this week from the book of Esther, chapter 8, Mordecai exalted. In verse 1, on that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. And so uh, this is taking place right after chapter 7. Chapter 7 is where Haman gets hung because Esther revealed to the king that Haman was the one who wrote the decree with the king's signet ring uh, for all the Jews to be killed, which would have included her. And, uh, and so the king executes his executive order and judgment and has Haman hung on the gallows that he had already erected in order to kill Mordecai, Esther's cousin. And so then this is where the story picks up, and the king gives Queen Esther Haman's house. And so kind of historical there, just going through the events and the, uh, in order and in the process of the, of the history that took place, events that took place. But as I pray for each chapter, and Lord, where are you in this? And again, God is not specifically mentioned in the book of Esther at all. Um, prayer, no religious talk is mentioned at all in the book of Esther. But God is certainly in the book of Esther all throughout. He's in every part of the Bible. And so the key for us is to find him. And so let's look at these two verses again and see where God is. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai, and Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. Okay, do you see him there? Let's look at it again. Okay, Haman... Historical figure, historical person, literal person, but representing and foreshadowing Lucifer. Lucifer fell out, was thrown out of heaven, cast down to this earth, stole this earth from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were the, had dominion over this earth, given uh, rulership over this earth by God to be uh, the son of God here on earth, to name and to care for this world, and they sold it out. They gave it over by choice. Satan tricked them, deceived them, and stole it away from them. And so uh, we have God who's ruler over the universe, but Satan who is prince over this earth, as he's referred to in the Bible. But then Yeshua comes along, Esther representing Yeshua in this chapter, at least in this verse, Yeshua comes along and takes back, exposes Satan, here exposes Haman, and then the king, God the king, executes judgment upon Lucifer, and Yeshua, because of his righteous standing and righteous life, three days, Esther is hiding away, fasting and praying, Yeshua sacrificed and died for three days, and was willing to, uh, to die for us, eternal death. 
Esther was willing, but he prayed, not my will, but your will be done, surrendered to God. Esther, not willing to go, but eventually surrenders. Even if I have to perish, I'll perish in sacrificing my life for the people. And so here, the king appoints to Esther the home that Haman had. Satan, ruler over this earth, prince of this earth, Yeshua comes and is now the son of God over this earth, the prince over this earth. And then Mordecai comes along, and Mordecai is related to Esther, and Mordecai is then given, Esther then now has Haman's house, and Esther does what with that house? She gives it to Mordecai. So who does Mordecai represent? The children of God, right? The children of God who are relatives of Yeshua, who have been adopted into Yeshua, who have chosen to follow him, who have left their allegiance to the devil whom we're born under and have chosen to be born again and born anew and then come under Yeshua as, as Lord and God, King of the universe. And we all become children of the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through Yeshua, children of God. And thus we, the meek, shall inherit the earth because Yeshua has regained it for us and has given it to us. See that there? The transfer down the line and of the power? And that's exactly what God is doing and has done and is doing and will continue to do. But now even though Haman has been killed, the chapter's not over. The book's not over yet. we still got three chapters left. And even though Yeshua has defeated Satan, it's not over yet. We're still here. For 2,000 years, we've still been here. And even though he's won the battle and technically won the war, the battle still rages. And so it's not over in the book of Esther yet. Verse 3, Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman, the Agagite, and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. So Esther now comes a second time before the king to plead in the behalf of her people. And even though, again, Lucifer has been defeated, but it's not over yet, so Yeshua has to come a second time for the final judgment to take place. And so there's this second judgment that will take place as well. Verse 4, the king held out the golden scepter towards, uh, to Esther, and Esther arose and stood before the king and said, if it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come upon my people? How can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? So Haman has written a decree. And what type of decree did he write? To do what? To annihilate, to kill, to destroy, and to annihilate the people of God. Satan has written a decree against us. He is the accuser of the brethren. And he has written a death decree that we should all die because the wages of sin is death. And so we are under this curse. We are born under this curse. We are born under this curse of, of death. 
We are born to literally die. We start dying the day we're born. He's written a decree, but Esther comes before the king asking for that letter to be revoked. Revoke that decree against my people. And Yeshua is our Kohen Gadol interceding on our behalf to revoke the curse that has been placed upon this world, to revoke the curse that has been placed upon us, the death decree that has been placed upon us. The king Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hands on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews, as you please, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. So he can't revoke the initial death decree. He can't just say, well, I, I choose to just revoke it under Persian law. And God also, as king, cannot just, well, say, well, okay, I said that if you sin, you die. I told that to Adam and Eve, and they sinned. Well, I choose to revoke my law. No, he can't revoke his law, because then he would be an idiot for making that law, and God is not an idiot. God does not make bad laws. He does not recant of his laws that he made. He doesn't make mistakes. He didn't make a mistake in, in writing it. And, and same, then moving forward. Right? So all of us have come under that penalty because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so he can't just say, well, I revoke that. I just change my law. I do away with my law. And so now it doesn't matter anymore. And so now everyone is just under grace and everyone could just go to heaven. No, that law still has to stand. But he says to Esther and to Mordecai, you write a law yourselves. And Yeshua has written a law a law of forgiveness paid for by his sacrifice in our behalf that we might be redeemed. He has written a new law concerning us. He has written a law concerning us that says forgiven over condemnation with the blood of Yeshua written over our records, blotting out our record of sin, overriding our record of sin. The sin was still there, but it gets blotted out, covered over because of the blood of Yeshua. And so Esther and Mordecai then, uh, and okay, so then also, so then again, it's not over yet. So here the king says, I ruled over Haman. I made my decision over Haman and I executed judgment over Haman, but now there's still this death decree for the rest of the people. So you write something, and you enact a judgment now, and with last day events, we see there's two aspects to it. When Yeshua comes again, he will enact his judgment. He will destroy the wicked. He will separate the sheep from the goat and the wheat from the tares. He will destroy the wicked with the brightness of his coming. He will resurrect the righteous in Messiah who've died. And together with them, we will meet the Lord in the clouds, ever to be with the Lord, to be taken to the mansions that he's preparing for us in his father's house. Thus we shall ever be with the Lord. But then a thousand years takes place. 
And that's a big topic, and we don't have time to get all into it all here, but we've preached a couple sermons on it in the, here in the past, and it's been recorded, and uh, it's on shalomadventure.com. You can go there, and there's a little search bar on the top of that website, and you just type in Millennium there, and it'll bring up the sermons on, on Millennium, on the Millennium that we've preached in the past, and you can see it there. But it starts with a judgment, God's judgment, and then, again, he destroys the wicked, takes us to heaven, where we enter into judgment with the Lord. As it says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? And so we enter into the judgment process with God, looking over the record books, doing an audit of his judgment that he did, which of course will come to full agreement with him, but we'll see all the reasons why, and all questions and all doubt will be gone. And then we will write the decree against the wicked ourselves. And then they will receive their final judgment and their final punishment at the end of the thousand years. And so also here in the book of Esther, there's two judgment days. The one the king did against Haman, and then 11 months passed by, and then a one upon the wicked, which we'll get into in the next chapter. Okay, still, Esther chapter 8, verse 9. The king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is in the month of Sivon, on the 23rd day, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and the princes of the provinces of, from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all, to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. So even though we were taken by Babylon to, to what was then the Babylonian kingdom, which got taken over by the Medo-Persian kingdom, so we're now outside of Israel and scattered for probably well over 100 years at this point. And yet the Jewish people continued to maintain the, the script, the, the Aleph Bet, and the language, the Hebrew language, the verbal language and the written language, both maintained for all that time. And of course, then after the 70 years, we were able to go back and start to reestablish Israel. But even during that 70 years, we kept the language and kept the script. And here's a text confirming that, that they maintained it, did not fully assimilate into the culture, but maintain their religious faith and the word of God and, and the language as well. Now it also said in, in these verses, this slide, the king's scribes were called in that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivon, on the 23rd day. Now when did Haman write his script? When did he write the death decree? Someone say it? Well, you were here, right? Most of you were here, I'm pretty sure, that week. We read the Bible together, right? Weren't you listening? Weren't you reading? When did it say? In the first month, on the 13th day, is when they drew the lots, where we get the name Purim from. And that's when he decided, and that's when he had the decree written. And here we are in the third month, 
in the 23rd day. Now the events we were reading over the last several chapters from him writing that decree to in the first month, 13th day, we had him writing it and then the couriers taking it and distributing it and no doubt in Shushan they probably got it pretty quickly, maybe that same day. We don't know how long it was before Mordecai saw one of the decrees, but I'd imagine pretty quickly. Day, maybe two days max. He sees the decree. He puts on sackcloth and ashes and he's weeping and crying and we don't know how long it took before Esther's servants noticed him outside the gate. Maybe that same day, maybe another day or two. He's out there wailing and grieving and she sends the messenger to give him clothing and he refuses it and he sends a message back and she sends a message back and he sends a message back. You've been called for such a time as this. Go before the king. Maybe that took a day. Maybe it took an hour. Maybe it took a, two days, maybe. And then she says, well, fast and pray for me. Tell the people to fast and pray for three days. Not pray, but fast for me for three days. So then we got a set time there, three days, but we're talking maybe a week. Because then they, she has the first banquet on that third day, and then the second banquet the next day, and that's when she exposes Satan, or Haman, and Haman gets hung. That's where this chapter started. The king gave the house to Esther, and then Esther introduces him to her cousin, and he gives the house to Mordecai. So maybe about a week or so from the time Haman writes the decree to his death, from four to maybe seven days. So what took two months for Esther to come before the king the second time and plead with him the second time? I think you should do that right away. <laughs> okay, Haman's dead, but hey, there's still this death decree. But a time lapse takes place before she comes. And again, we see historically and biblically, Satan stole this earth from Adam and Eve. And then there's a time period that takes place before Yeshua comes and redeems this earth and comes before the king and pleads his blood in our behalf. And so it's approved, and they begin writing this decree, historically third month, 23rd day. Again, about two months after Haman was killed. Mordecai wrote in the name of the king, Asherus, sealed with the king's signet ring, and sent letters by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses, bred from swift steeds. Historians tell us that, uh, that Persia was the first, the historical record I read anyway, said that Persia was the first to have a nationwide postal system. Well, there might be other historians who say other places had some, but when you look at the size of the Medo-Persian kingdom, it probably was the biggest kingdom up until that time. From India all the way to Ethiopia, that is huge territory. Of course, the Greek empire takes over that and is even bigger, and then the Roman empire is even bigger than that. But for that time and up till that time, that was huge. And to have a postal system that's able to reach from one end to the other, and here the Bible confirms that. That they had swift steeds ready for this and bred specifically for this purpose and set aside specifically for this purpose to take the king's messages, messages and send them as far out into the 127 provinces as possible and as fast as possible. 
And again, the Bible just confirming, confirming that. By these letters, the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children and women, to plunder their possessions on one day in the provinces of King Asher's on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. So the 12th month, the end of the year, on the 13th day of that month, we have the ability to defend ourselves. And so it's a time period, again, nine months or so from when the decree went out, however long it would take for the couriers to take it from one end of the kingdom to the other. But Esther and Mordecai are able to write this decree, giving the Jews the ability to defend themselves, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the forces that would try to assault them. So the spiritual analogy, in the 12th month, in the end times, God has given us everything we need so that in our flesh, through God's Spirit working in us, we have the ability to reject all forces of the enemy, to reject all temptation, to have victory and power over the forces of darkness, over the devil, and over all of his evil angels, that they have no right over us anymore, they have no power over us anymore. Even though the first decree has been written against us since Adam and Eve, God has given us a new decree that through his blood, through his sacrifice, through his righteousness, we can be more than victorious through him who has saved us. And Satan has nothing on us, nothing anymore. He can still tempt, but we can still say no by God's power. The first decree is still there. Satan is still going around as a roaring lion, but it does not have to come nigh us. It does not have to affect us. We do not have to yield to it. We do not have to surrender to it. We are more than a match for the devil and his plans and his trials and his temptations and his struggles that he puts against us and his persecution against us because of the power and the might of Yeshua the Messiah who has raised us up and who has lifted us up and has been sealed with the king's signet ring. You are my children, children of God, no longer children of the devil, born anew. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. Inheritors with him, co-inheritors with him because of his sacrifice in our behalf. Thus we are children of the kingdom, princes with him, reigning with him in these last days. Exciting days we're living in. And again, this book of Esther foreshadows last day events, a death decree against us, but fear not. Then the next verse says, so the copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province and published for all the people so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. And their couriers who rode on royal horses went out, hastened and pressed on by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Shushan, the citadel. So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white with great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple and the city of Sushan rejoiced and was glad. Who's he dressed like? Not a king. Who's he dressed like? 
No, not Amon. Yes, the priest. Right, Kohen Gadol. This is the colors that God placed upon Aaron. The blue and the white and the, and the, and the purple and the gold and the gold mitre on his head that said holiness to the Lord. So here he is now, Mordecai representing Yeshua as our Kohen Gadol, interceding in our behalf and, and, and continuing to intercede in our behalf and writing decrees in our behalf and going out uh, as the representative of God here on earth. And he calls us, so Mordecai then has the people of God again, he calls us also to be kings and priests with him, reigning with him, having authority with him because of him and because of what he, Yeshua, has done in our behalf. And thus we are clothed with his garments, with his righteousness, with his kingly crown, with his priestly crown, that dual crown, a kingly and priestly crown that we saw mentioned uh, in, I think it was Ezra, the book we read uh, before this. Somewhere in one of the prophetic books at this time of the kingly and priestly crown. Maybe it was Zechariah that was given to him. In verse 16, the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor in every province and city wherever the king's command and decree came. The Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. So between these verses here, here this verse, this chapter, this verse ended with uh, all the city of Sushan rejoiced and was glad. So you have rejoice and glad. Then you have light, gladness, joy and honor. And you have uh, joy and gladness, feast and holiday. That's a lot of saying the same thing over and over. They're rejoicing, they're happy, they're glad. Has the death decree been done away with yet? No. Have they had victory over their enemies yet? Physically? Have their enemies been destroyed yet? All of them? No. They're rejoicing. Mordecai comes out, he wrote the decree, he sends out the decree, and they all start rejoicing. Even though the battle is not the war is not over yet. But they're rejoicing by faith. And we, here, the battle is not over yet. We're not in heaven yet, if you haven't noticed yet. We're not there yet. Far from it. But we can still rejoice here. We can still be glad here. We can still have a feast and holiday here. We can still have lightness and gladness here. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, even if we're in a dungeon, falsely accused, and a death decree over our head, ready to be beheaded, we can still rejoice in the Lord here on this earth. In spite of the problems and trials and temptations and horrible situations that have happened and will happen, and even as it gets worse and worse as the end time comes, we can still rejoice and be glad. Not by the circumstances around us, but by our faith in God. Not because of what is happening, but because of what will happen. And what has already happened in Yeshua's sacrifice for us. And also because of his coming again and the heaven that is awaiting us. And the mansions that he's preparing for us. We can rejoice and be glad by faith. Because he is on our side. Because he is standing there before the Father's throne, interceding in our behalf. Because he has the king's signet ring. 
Because it has been bestowed over to him. Because he is the real ruler. Now the new, the second Adam, standing in our behalf, our representative. We can rejoice and be glad with nothing to fear. Trusting in him. Knowing he and the king are on our side. We can rejoice and be glad. In verse 17, then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. And as we stand by faith, Mordecai stood by faith. He stood for the right. Even though, probably knew that, hey, I'll get fired. Or probably knew, hey, this Haman's not going to like it. He might even kill me. Maybe he didn't imagine he'll kill all the Jews, but he stood anyway. Refused to break God's laws. And God honored it. When people see us standing for the right and standing for God, there'll be those that run, there'll be those that are attracted to it. There'll be those that are repulsed by it and hate us, and there'll be those that are drawn to the Lord as a result of it. And so those, there, many came and joined and became Jews as well. But they came here, at least some of them, for fear fell upon them. Fear of the Jews fell upon them. Not necessarily the best motive. And they might have joined just out of fear to not get killed, but not out of sincerity in heart. We have the mixed multitude came out of Egypt with us because they feared Pharaoh or they saw the mighty power of God or had heard of the promise of the promised land and sounded desirable. But if we come to the Lord out of fear of hell or because of the desire for heaven, what is our motive? What are our motives if the reason that we have come to the Lord is because of fear of hell or because of the reward of heaven? What is our motive? Self is our motive. Right. Self. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be destroyed. I want to live forever. I want heaven. Right? It's all about self. It's not out of love for God. It's not out of appreciation for God. Now God can use that to get us started. But that's a very immature motive for walking with the Lord. And so even if that started our journey, we need to grow in it and fall in love with the Lord. And we serve him out of a fear, an awe, appreciation of him. Out of a love that's so great that we fear disappointing him. That we fear hurting him. That we fear crucifying him afresh. That we love him because of what he's done for us. That we love him, and even if there was no heaven, it is well worth it to serve him and be surrendered to him for the peace that he gives us, for the freedom from the guilt, because of the victory and power that he gives us over sin and over temptation, over habits, a changed heart, a new life that he gives us. The ability to rejoice even in the face of troubles, that's worth it all. Because of the power of the Lord. 
out of appreciation for what he's done for us. And so as we prepare to pray, in a moment, if you initially came to the Lord out of a fear of the judgment to come, or out of a desire for heaven, merely, then a moment when we pray, ask God to bring you to a higher level of maturity in him. Ask him to give you a true love for him. That you put him first. And when we're at that point, when we continue to grow with him, we can even say like Moses, well then blot my name out. So that someone else can be in heaven. Even if I miss out on heaven, I love the people and I love you God so much. Like Paul said, I wish I could be accursed for my brethren's sake. Cut off from God for their sake. That heaven for ourselves no longer becomes our driving force. But love for God and love for others becomes our driving force. And so in a moment, if that applies to you, when we pray, ask God to give you those type of motives, that type of heart, that type of desire. And it comes from God. It's not something you can manifest on our own, but we can ask for it. Surrender our selfish motives and let God fill us with his grace. Secondly, if you've been just coming along for the ride for maybe some other reason, maybe, again, fear of the Jews, well, my wife said, or my husband said, and I'm doing it for him, or, or my parents just raised me this way and this is my habit, or it looks good in society, or benefits my business or my career or my life. We're following not as a true believer, but just as a temporary follower of the Lord, or professed follower. Following God, but denying the power thereof. Having a profession of faith, but denying the power thereof. Just going through the motions. Like the missed multitude coming out of Egypt, the Bible tells us they were the first ones to begin the grumbling and complaining. They were the first ones wanting to go back to Egypt. They were the first ones dissatisfied with the manna. And if we've been grumbling and complaining and just following along and unhappy, not rejoicing, not filled with God's love and God's power, not filled with God's spirit, giving us an attitude of gratitude, then a moment when we pray, surrender that to the Lord. Because the wonderful thing about God is he can change us, he can transform us, he can switch it. And so if that applies to you in a moment when we pray, surrender to God the, the fake and false and the lie of our profession and ask him to give you a true heart after him, make you a true believer in him, to walk the walk and not just claim the name. And third, if you want to claim your position at the right hand of the Father. Your role as a priest with him, interceding with God on behalf of the other of the people, the rest of the people in the land. 
sending a warning out, sending a message out, writing out the decree, letting it be known that God has given us a second law, a second decree, a decree that says you're forgiven, a decree that says you are now the child of God, a decree that says you now have the protection of God over you, a decree that tells, teaches how to put on the armor of God, how to fight the fight of faith, and be more than victorious in him. And put on the robe of God's righteousness. And take out the pen and with word and deed and action, let God's love be spread to every province in the world and be used by him as his messengers. And fourth, if you want to praise the Lord for his sacrifice in your behalf, that he has allowed us to be co-heirs with Yeshua. That he has given us the promise of heaven. He has placed a crown upon our heads that we can rejoice and be glad in spite of the problems. If you're going through some problem right now, you want to lay a hold of faith and say, God, give me the ability to rejoice in spite of the situation. Not ignoring the situation. Again, they didn't ignore that there was this decree that couldn't be reversed or revoked. The problems are there. There's problems in the world. There's problems in your life. There's problems in everybody's life. Not just be happy. <laughs> Don't worry, be happy. No, it's face the problems, but rejoice in the Lord anyway, <laughs> in spite of the problems. And so if you want to grab a hold of your position, as a child of God, and rejoice by faith in what God has already done for you and is doing and will continue to do Amen. and in what he has in store for us. In a moment when we pray, claim that for your kingdom, for yourself, for your heart, and for your mind. Let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we are thankful for your deliverance in the past. We're thankful, Lord, for this miracle that you did for Esther and for Mordecai and the, and the Jewish people. Thank you, Lord, for giving us hope in the present. And as we come into this future, these last days, these decrees being written every hour, things every moment right now are coming out, new stuff, more freedoms being stripped from us and the pressure bearing down more and more, the hatred mounting more and more. Lord, give us the eye of faith to see above it all, to see your face, to lay hold of what you have written in our behalf, your word that supersedes and overrides and is more important than what the devil has and his lies has written about us. We claim your inheritance as your children because of what you have done in our behalf, because of your sacrifice. Thank you, Lord God. We praise your name. Lord, give us a heart of rejoicing. Give us a heart that loves you. Give us a heart that surrendered to you. Give us a heart that loves others. Give us a heart that goes and writes and shares and tells and witnesses of your great love and of your great victory and of your great promise 
and of your great power available to us, the full armor of God, all prayer, the sword of the Spirit. Fill us, Lord, with your power to fight your battles and to move forward in faith, victorious over sin and temptation and trial. Move us forward by your grace to follow you and to walk in your ways and that other people join us in your righteous cause. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.